Warning. This episode of Case Craze may include some or all of the following as it pertains to the cases discussed. Graphic depictions of violence, sexual assault, hate speech, abuse of a minor, domestic abuse, animal abuse, and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Calling all true crime fans, this is Case Craze. Theodore Robert Bundy, you are charged, indictment, two counts, burglary, two counts, murder in the first degree. Tell me what's going on, okay? It's 2 a.m. Late March 1977. Ruth Morgan is alerted to somebody outside of her house by her dog. When she got up, she realized it was her husband, Charles, more commonly known as Chuck Morgan. He's been missing for three days. He's pointing to his throat, unable to talk. Chuck? Can you write? Chuck nods his head yes. Ruth noticed Chuck was missing a shoe. He had one plastic handcuff around his ankle and a pair on his wrists. Removing the restraints on his wrists, he begins writing for Ruth. My throat has been painted with a hallucinogenic drug and it could drive me irrevocably insane or destroy my nervous system and kill me. Ruth went to call a doctor or the police, but Chuck wouldn't let her. It could harm his entire family. Prior to this incident, 39-year-old Chuck Morgan led what seemed to be a fairly normal life. He was a businessman who owned his own escrow company and had a family. According to Medium.com, an article written by Cat Lee, Arizona became a place for money laundering in the 70s. Laws allowed you to buy land through blind trust accounts, which let many people slip right under the radar. The mafia was now able to launder money without leaving any traces. This only heightened the number of gang-style murders in Arizona. According to Ruth, Chuck mentioned this was occurring, but promised her that he had no part in it whatsoever. But to keep his family safe, it's best they not talk about it. On that March night, Ruth's husband came home a different man, making her question everything they had previously talked about. Somehow, she was able to nurse him back to health by feeding him with an eyedropper. Once he began to regain his voice, he started telling her some obscure things. He referenced the people that attacked them only as they. They took my treasury card. They were coming to get me. He even asked Ruth to move his car for him so they wouldn't attack him. He also says he's not who he say he is. He apparently works for the federal government where he fights against organized crime and apparently witnessed a state land fraud case involving a known crime boss. Ruth stood by him but noticed he was becoming increasingly more paranoid. He wore a bulletproof vest everywhere he went. He spoke with his daughter's school officials and told them, no one was allowed to pick up the girls before, during, or after school except for him. The school approved his request. Intelligently, Chuck had his own If I Go Missing letter addressed to his father, informing him of everyone who could be responsible. Hello? Ruthie? Yes. Who is this? Who is this? A 
Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. Hello? Chuck was missing again. Nine days after not hearing from him or knowing his whereabouts, Ruth received this anonymous phone call in the middle of the night. The woman never identified herself. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8 reads, Men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Chuck's lifeless body was eventually found in the Arizona desert. The crime scene was in incredibly weird. Let's go over the details. His death was execution style. A single bullet to the back of the head fired at a close proximity. Next to his body was the gun, a 357 Magnum. This was Chuck's personal gun. However, there were no fingerprints on the gun. Inside his car were different weapons and their counterpart ammunition, along with a pair of glasses that didn't belong to Chuck. Chuck's left hand was covered in gunpowder, but he was right-handed. His vehicle was altered to unlock from the fender. His belt buckle had a knife attached. One of its teeth was wrapped in a white handkerchief in the backseat of the car. And Chuck was still wearing his bulletproof vest. The last piece of the odd puzzle was a $2 bill. It was clipped inside of his underwear and had weird words and drawings on it. These were eventually discovered to be references to Freemasonry. There were seven names in Spanish in alphabetical order. Acevedo, Pejarano, Caro, Duarte, Encinas, Fuente, and Garadiz. One of the stranger details was Ecclesiastes 12 written on the bill with an arrow pointing to the numbers 1 and 8 from the serial number. On the back of the $2 bill was a map. It represented an area between Tucson and Mexico, commonly known as an area for drug smuggling. They were calling it a suicide. There is no way Chuck would have committed suicide. And if he had even contemplated suicide, he would have left a letter for his girls and for me. Ruth couldn't believe what was happening. A woman who called herself Green Eyes called the Pima County Sheriff's Department two days after Chuck's death claiming to have information. She claims that days before his death, he met her at a hotel where he showed her thousands of dollars in cash, alleging this was his buyout from the mob. Presumably, this was the woman who called Ruth in the middle of the night, right before they found Chuck's body. After being questioned about this phone call, she claimed it was her, but they couldn't be so sure. Police were able to confirm Chuck did stay at the Westside Motel for a little over a week before his death. I'm assuming he stayed here not his own house to protect his family and himself, but I'm only guessing. Fast forward to three weeks after Chuck's death, Ruth got a surprise visit by the FBI. They showed her their badges for all of 0.5 seconds before storming into the house and searching through everything. They opened and closed their identification very fast. They said they wanted to come in and look through the house. They never said what they were looking for. And to this day, I don't even know what they were looking for. Ruth tried to ask what they wanted, but they didn't answer any of her questions. The men were frustrated and eventually left. Ruth questioned that these men even worked for the FBI. Journalist Don Devereaux called the FBI wanting more information on Chuck Morgan. This is in his civil right under the Freedom of Information Act. However, the FBI mysteriously claimed to have no idea who he was talking about. Don had his doubts from the beginning about this being a suicide. Let me tell you something. In all my years as a journalist, I have never seen a fella take himself out into the desert wearing a bulletproof vest and shoot himself in the back of the head. I think there's a great likelihood that Mr. Morgan was, in fact, doing something for the government. This was a guy who was extremely naive about a lot of things. I think somebody blew his cover and he got killed. Hypothetically, let's say he did work for the government and was watching organized crime. 
The messages on the back of the $2 bill were then presumably meant for the FBI. Don continued digging for more information. Turns out Chuck was lying and was heavily involved in money laundering in the early 70s. He was using his escrow business to launder gold and platinum sales mostly from Southeast Asia. We're talking over a billion dollars. It's almost like Chuck knew his untimely demise would happen because he left a paper trail of these illegal transactions. Don caught wind of some rumors that undercover CIA agents, members of the Department of Defense, and even exiled Vietnamese government officials were involved. Because of this, the theory that he was killed becomes much more likely. The journalist Don Devereaux wanted to continue searching and looking into the case. Someone wasn't going to make it very easy for him. February 1990, Don worked on a bit for Unsolved Mysteries regarding the mysterious death of Chuck Morgan. A few months later in May of 1990 in Phoenix, Arizona, a man by the name of Doug Johnson was shot and killed while sitting in his car outside of a computer graphics store where he was about to work a night shift. This made Don increasingly nervous due to him living across the street from this computer graphics store, him driving almost an identical car to Doug, and having just reported on the case on national television. Authorities immediately declared this a suicide as well, but this was far from the truth due to there being no gun residue on his hands and no gun at the scene. At all. How could they confirm it was a suicide by gunshot wound without a gun? Don knew this had to have been a hitman. Almost a year after this incident, Danny Casolaro contacted Don wanting to give him more information on the case. He was also an investigator wanting to help Don in his endeavors. Danny wouldn't be able to get him the information at all though because he was found dead in the bathtub shortly after. A maid found Danny's body in a motel in Martinsburg, West Virginia with a note that read, to my loved ones, please forgive me, most especially my son, and be understanding. God will let me in. Danny's family refused to believe this was a suicide. His wrists were slit up to 12 times, but he was incredibly afraid of blood. He would have never have done this to himself, even if he were to take his own life. Spokeswoman Deputy Don Barkman declared Chuck Morgan's death a suicide, but the county medical examiner's office has it listed as unknown. In 2006, Ruth passed away never knowing what truly happened to Chuck. They had four daughters eventually, and Megan Hidley has her own theories. My father had a lot of information about people here in Tucson that could have been very detrimental. There was a lot of information about politicians, people who are still alive that work in our government. He had that information, and they wanted to silence him. I'm not entirely sure how we know about this letter to his father, considering it was never found based on my research. Did he vocalize any of this to Ruth or his father? We may never know. While this seems to be a mystery, I highly believe the theory that he was witnessing or getting into some intense dirty work and it wound up costing him in the end. While this is still claimed a mystery, I do believe he was killed for his actions. That he saw something he shouldn't have seen. All of the information regarding this episode will be available on my website, casecrazepodcast.com, along with a link to the Discord where you can discuss today's episode. What do you think happened to Chuck Morgan? Let me know. And please be safe out there. I don't want to learn about you on the news. Thank you.